Hey guys, welcome to episode 3 of Id, Ego, and Us. Today we're introducing three new segments, but we'll start off with an old one. So, I'm going to begin with Unsolved Mysteries, where I'll tell you guys what I've learned about Stonehenge. And we'll become frequent flyers with Trio when she tells us about Norway. Then we'll move into Wanting Words, and this will be sort of an introductory segment, discussing favorite books and recommendations. And we'll end with Recess, where Shura will educate us on the benefits of being alone. That being said, let's jump right into Unsolved Mysteries. Today's unsolved mystery is Stonehenge. Stonehenge is an ancient site in Wiltshire, England, and it is essentially a prehistoric circle of stones that dates back to 2500 BC. What most people don't know is that Stonehenge is only one of many similar structures, and in the 3rd and early 2nd millennium BC, a series of circular monuments was built across Britain just like Stonehenge. There are many speculations as to what Stonehenge and its partners were used for, but modern historians now agree that it was once a burial ground, and some believe that it was used as either a memorial, a means of spiritual connection, a ceremonial site, a religious pilgrimage destination, or a final resting place for royalty. Stonehenge has had multiple phases of construction, dating back to 5,000 years ago. The first phase consisted of a massive ditch that was dug all around where the stones would, want, would now lay, and during the second phase, a few hundred years later, an estimated 80 bluestones, which are the st smaller stones on the Stonehenge, were placed, and 43 of them remain today. During the third phase, in around 2000 BC, 20-foot-tall sarsen stones were placed on the site. Exactly how many it contained in the first construction is unknown, but today, around 50 of those are visible. These huge sarsen stones can weigh up to 40 tons, and the tallest one is 24 feet tall. As for who built the Stonehenge, this is almost as much of a mystery as the purpose of the monument itself. A 17th century archaeologist, John Aubrey, claimed the Stonehenge was built by Celtic high priest the Druids, and people in the modern day who identify as the Druids still join at the Stonehenge for the summer solstice, which is when the sun reaches its max declination, meaning it travels the longest path across the sky. And similarly, astronomers have proposed that the clusters of stones may operate as an astronomical calendar, with different points corresponding to astrological phenomena. A more recent theory is that Stonehenge at the time was thought to have healing powers and used for such things. This is because the bones that were dug up by archaeologists on the site showed signs of illness and disease. Other theories range from folktale to speculation. Modern historians and archaeologists agree that several groups probably contributed to the construction of Stonehenge. This hypothesis is supported by bones, tools, and other artifacts found on the site. According to the writings of a 12th century writer, Geoffrey of Monmouth, whose tales were considered factual well into the Middle Ages, surprisingly, Stonehenge is a hand handiwork of the wizard Merlin. So maybe it was sorcery, and maybe it was something a bit more plausible. Who knows, right? But that's all we've got for the Stonehenge. Next up, we're going to soar right into Frequent Flyer with Tria. Introducing a new segment, Frequent Flyer, where we talk about different countries and their history um, and their their culture as well. Today's country is Norway. Let's start off with some rapid fire facts. Number one, it is one of the world's happiest countries, which is published in the World Happiness Report. Yes, that's a thing by the Happiness Research Institute. Number two, the sun does not set in the summer in Norway, more specifically in Svalbard, sorry if I said that wrong, where it occurs the longest. The sun doesn't set between April 20th and August 22nd. Number three, Norway's rail experiences are rated the best in Europe. 
Number four, a penguin named Niels Olav was knighted by Norway in 2008 and named a brigadier in 2016. King penguin Sir Niels Olav now resides at the Edinburgh Zoo. Number five, the first king of Norway was a Viking. His name was Harald Fairhair, and he succeeded his father at the age of 10. And last but not least, Norway holds the most medals for the Winter Olympics, a total of 368 medals. That's the end of rapid fire. Let's get into the other slightly less interesting facts. Norway has a population of 5.328 million people and its capital is Oslo. Some of its neighboring countries are Sweden, Finland, and Russia. And the present king is King Harald V and the present queen is Queen Sonia. The first humans arrived in Norway in 7000 BC and by 3000 BC they started farming. And then in the 9th century AD Vikings from Norway started raiding other parts of Europe. From 1349 to 1350, the Black Death hit Norway. In 1624, Oslo, the capital, was destroyed by fire. In 1898, all men were given the right to vote, and in 1913, women were given the right to vote. Fast forward to 2012, Norway reached a population of 5 million. Norway is famous for its fjords, lakes, and skies. In the west coast, there are mountains and fjords, and they're beautiful all year round. If you want to check them out, it's spelled F-J-O-R-D-S, and I really recommend that you do because they look amazing. Honestly, the nature in Norway is just on another level. Oh, I can't forget the northern lights. Yeah, the best time to look at them is at the beginning of September until the middle of April. A little bit about its resources. Its main exports are petroleum, fish, metals, machinery, and chemicals, and also a little bit of textile and vegetables. Well, that's it about Norway. Let's move on to another segment, Wanting Words. Okay, so Wanting Words is a new segment that I added to the list. This segment is about books and poems and writing in general that I and we are interested in. In the future, maybe we'll get to analysis and different categories, but for now I'll just be telling you guys my first thoughts on the subject. As of 2018, sorry I had to pause to fix my mic. As of 2018, my favorite books in the world are I'll Give You the Sun by Jandy Nelson and The Book Thief by Marcus Suzak. I'll Give You the Sun is much too complicated to even get into its plot, but The Book Thief is essentially about a young girl's perspective of the Holocaust. Now, the fact that these are my favorites are is funny to me because otherwise I can't stand to read anything but science fiction and fantasy. I can make the exception for, like, John Green, but otherwise I just can't focus on anything that isn't magical in one way or another. And I'll Give You the Sun is purely fiction and The Book Thief is historical fiction. So maybe... Just maybe. I need to expand my horizons, but that's an issue for another time. As for science fiction, I can't even list all that I've read and loved. I think it'd be easier to list what I haven't liked, because I'm pretty sure that list is empty. I think the first ma magic type of thing that I read was the Percy Jackson series, which is technically mythology, both PJO and HOO, uh, the, Percy Jackson, the Percy Jackson, the Olympians, and the Heroes of Olympus. And I fell so in love that... I read practically every single series Rick Riordan, the author, had published in mythology. I think it was the Kane Chronicle series, the Magnus Chase series, uh, the Demigod Diaries, which was a single book, and the Trials of Apollo, which I started reading and read the first three books. I think I stopped because I guess I grew out of it, and just tons of fan fiction. So I'm just so interested in mythology, Greek and Roman especially, uh, because of this, and we even have a segment in mythology, but we're both very interested in that. 
As for science fiction, the list of recommendations I have for you include The Hunger Games, Divergent, Harry Potter, Twilight, all of the really popular ones, but there's a reason they're popular. The Mortal Instruments, The Infernal Devices, uh, The Maze Runner, The Darkest Minds, and I Am Number Four. It's a pretty long list and there's definitely more, but uh, they are very, very great books. And those are all series, by the way. My favorite series by far are Six of Crows by Leigh Bardugo and Legend by Maria Liu. And Legend is almost historical science fiction. I don't really know. It's not taking place in the past or anything, but it's it's more futuristic with components of the past. Right now, in terms of science fiction, I'm in the mid middle of reading Endgame, the Endgame series by James Frey. I read the first of what I believe is a trilogy, and I'm also reading the Red Queen series by Victoria Aveyard, and The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue, which I think is historical science fiction, but I couldn't really tell you because I've only read about two chapters of it. Anywho, I've rambled on for much too long. Thank you if you stayed and listened. And if you have any other book recommendations or would like any, feel free to reach out to us. Welcome to the last segment, Recess. And this segment, it is new. Uh, it's where we talk about uh, mental health and also a little bit about physical health. Um, after the pandemic hit, everyone went into isolation. They had no choice but to live in solitude. We've been living like this for more than a year, and we know how people dealt with it. Some people started personal projects or pursued a new interest. But being alone is often, too often really, compared with loneliness. This belief is rather modern because during the medieval times, to be alone meant something along the lines of being one's complete self. Usually you hear people talking about how being with others reduces stress and boosts your happiness, but sometimes doing things on your own can have its benefits too. If you're alone, you can completely immerse yourself into whatever you're doing and you would be more focused and come up with creative solutions. A little bit more about being focused. You can fully embrace your passions and take them to the next level. When you're alone, your interests become your number one priority. And no, it doesn't always have to be about work. Being alone can be really peaceful. So sometimes taking some time for yourself to do absolutely nothing is helpful when you've been stressed out. Maybe taking a nap, going on a walk, volunteering, there's so many options. Anything that you can do to just forget about that upcoming due date or that one task you've been avoiding for way too long. You will feel much better and more motivated after taking a break from all the rush. There's a book called The Call of Solitude, Alone Time in a World of Attachment. Now, excuse me if I say their name wrong, but the author of this book, Esther Bouchols, says that it's important for human beings to set aside some alone time, especially in the busy world of today. So bottom line, remember to take breaks, arrange some me time, and continue to stay mindful. Now, for a few seconds of recess, think about what you would do during your alone time. That's it for episode three of It Ego and Us. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you enjoy our podcast, send this to your friends and family. And if you don't enjoy it, consider sending this to your enemies. Uh, that's it for today. And tune in next time on It Ego and Us.